Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's quickly turn to Joshua chapter 2 today. Joshua chapter 2, our surprise series today, surprised by his favor. You know, it's amazing what God does when insurmountable obstacles and impossible circumstances surround us. It's amazing how God has a way of working through people you least expect him to work through in order to bring about some of the most amazing things that only God can ultimately bring about. He uses unusual people in unusual times and unusual places, and it's a surprise to everyone. That's what we're going to be talking about today as we look in Joshua chapter 2. Before I get into the message, and, uh, and I just want to make one note uh, today, time-wise, uh, we will not be being dismissed at 12 today. As you look at uh, your clock uh, one time, don't look at it again, because we're going to spend some time together today that I think is very, very important, but um, we're a little short on time, but we're still going to use it, and uh, so we'll use it well. I want to share with you about a trip we took this last week. My wife and I had an opportunity to go to um, Washington, D.C. as a part of a mega metro pastors conference. It takes place every year, but it takes place in different cities. And this year in Washington, D.C., in part because we had an invitation to be able to meet with some uh, high leaders in the sense of uh, governmental leaders at the uh, Capitol and the White House. And so we planned that trip. We went this past week, and I have to share with you that some of the most eye-opening things that I've ever seen, really, I saw this last week in Washington, D.C. Very surprising. Um, as someone who's somewhat skeptical about what happens in Washington, D.C., uh, I, I did see and hear some things that I wanted to pass on to you of great importance. We had a briefing with Sam uh, Brownback, who is the ambassador at large uh, for the International Religious Freedom. Now, this, this is a man that works on behalf of all religions everywhere in the world against persecution. And uh, he is very concerned about what's happening in America and around the world and brought some tremendous reports back to us about ways in which uh, religious liberty is being protected. Now, if you met this guy, you would think he was kind of like the guy on uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, played by Jimmy Stewart, an old movie years ago. He's former governor of Kansas. He's very plain spoken, kind of, uh, kind of unusual little uh, words he uses, and, and, uh, but a really solid believer in Jesus Christ. Um, he shared a number of verses with us that guides him day in and day out. We also had a briefing with one of the authors of the book entitled The Faith of Donald J. Trump. And I have not read that book. I've ordered it. haven't read it yet. But he had some incredible insights into the background and history of, of our current president. And we thought that was very interesting. But probably the greatest briefing we had was with Vice President Mike Pence. Let me say this to you. As, as you meet Mike Pence, you come away thinking this man is everyone, every, he's every, every bit the way you hope he is. You, you know, he speaks like a spiritual man. He seems to be uh, wise in how he communicates and what he says and what he does. And he is everything you would hope he would be. He's articulate. He's strong in the faith. Mike Pence could probably come and preach from this pulpit just about any time. He talks about 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my faith, then I, I will, and they will turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. He talked about that verse. He talked about his relationship with the president and how he felt uh, that there was no way that he would be appointed vice president or allowed to run simply because of his strong biblical convictions. At one point, he made this statement. He said, you know, we've, we've become very close in the last year. He said, because, of course, we're exactly alike each other. You know, we're exactly alike. Of course, that was a joke we all laughed at because Mike Pence is nothing like Donald Trump. 
But the overall perspective that, that, that we personally got, this group of pastors uh, received from those briefings and from talking with those who are high up in Washington are several points I would share with you. One of those is that 20% of what's actually happening is being reported. In other words, many good things are happening in Washington, D.C., but you will hear less than 20% of what's really happening when it comes to policy. Uh, one of the uh, high-ranking leaders said this. He said, I can go to a meeting in the evening and know exactly what was said in that meeting, and what's being reported the next day about that meeting is nothing like the meeting I was in. He said, there's really no reason and no way for you to trust third-party uh, representations of a certain meeting. He said, when I was in the meeting, and that's not what was said, not what was done. Uh, I want to stress that the people we met in the administration are not yes people. They're not yes men. They don't need the job. They don't care about whether they work there or not. They're there because they believe they can make a difference, and they'll continue to be there because they believe they can make a difference. So I think that's a very, very important thing to look at. The universal thing that, that we saw and heard was this. This is the most accessible most pro-life, most pro-faith, and pro-security administration in 30 years. In 30 years. James Dobson said this. He said, I was invited to this administration. I think this is positive for everybody. It's positive for everybody. He said this. He said, uh, it's been 30 years since I've been invited to the White House. 30 years. He said, for all these many years, I was sometimes a single crusader for the family, on behalf of the family, on behalf of marriages, on behalf of those values. And he said, it's been 30 years. Uh, one individual said this, that spiritual advisors to Trump uh, have, have said this. He listens and forms policies from our discussions. He has um, decided to surround himself with Bible-believing believers. For whatever reason, he's decided to surround himself with that, Mike Pence being one of them. I also learned this was very encouraging, that private conversations about repentance take place with the president and spiritual advisors regularly. Now, you let that sink in for just a few moments. The way that you affect an individual is not on social media. It's not by carrying a sign. It's by personally conversing and confronting where those situations need confronting. And I think it's very important for, for you to hear this from, from my mouth that evangelical leaders in America don't support him just because they put their arms around the package or the values that, that he would suppose to represent. But they, they do support him because there are people around him that are Bible-believing individuals who believe in biblical freedoms that we have been given in America since its founding, and we want those to be secured for all people at all times. Uh, I'm hearing things I've never heard before and won't hear from the press. Nobody will. Um, and maybe most surprising at all is this. The last point I want to share with you is that, that the access to the White House is really surprisingly granted because uh, of a relationship that the Trump family has with uh, Paula White, who is a prosperity-teaching uh, woman televangelist that God has used in an amazing way in this particular case. Here's why. 16 years ago, uh, then Donald Trump, before he became president 16 years ago, watched a television show where she was teaching, and he was intrigued by her message, which that makes sense because Donald Trump is all about making money, right? Prosperity was her message. And so uh, he called her and invited her and her husband to come to their family uh, retreat, uh, get away, whatever, and uh, they spent 16 years in a friendship, and she now is one of his most closest uh, trusted advisors 
and she has the opportunity to speak into his ear along with other key biblical leaders of all races, of all backgrounds in the Christian faith who are speaking into his, uh, into his inner circle of influence. And some good things are coming out of that. I walked away from Washington. Even though I went in skeptical, I walked away very encouraged by some of the things I saw. Uh, all the reports, the protests, and so forth, we saw none of that in our five days there, not, not one protest. In fact, I saw two protesters, and they both looked like they had driven from California in a Volkswagen van to protest. That's all I saw. They were loony-looking people, and I'm not really even sure what they were protesting. But that's all I saw in Washington, and my eyes were open, my ears were open to look around and see what was going on. I think it's very significant that you hear that as a result of uh, us being up there for a week and being able to get some briefing with some key people. That encourages me to pray more than ever for America because there are some opportunities to deal with things that are important to the hearts of pastors and that advisory council. And in that advisory council are pastors who care about issues like racism, who care about issues like religious freedom, who care about issues like pro-life and pro-family and the economy. Those are huge issues that come up uh, in those conversations that I have personally been a part of. So let me just share with you that those things are things that I know are happening by fact, that I hear with my own ears, see with my own eyes. And uh, it's time to pray. It's, time, it's always time to pray for our nation, but it's especially time to pray for our nation when opportunity and access is granted to key uh, believers in the faith of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you by that. I also want to say to you as a result of introducing in this long way that God can use surprising people in surprising places at surprising times and that's exactly what's happening, I believe, in the White House today. Let's stand together as we look at Joshua chapter 2. And, and really, this is one of those amazing books of the Old Testament and amazing chapter that I'm going to read in its entirety. So I gave you a moment to rest. Now you're standing up for the entire chapter of Joshua chapter 2. If you're ready to stand for a moment for the reading of the Word of God, say amen. All right, you're ready. Here we go. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. Now, that way you pronounce that word is Shittim. I want you to say that with me, Shittim. I don't want a private reading of the Bible to ever take the wrong direction with this word, Shittim. <laughs> Literally how you say it in the Hebrew, Shittim. Saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute. His name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they've come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the uh, stalks of flax that she had laid out in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the forge, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Now listen to this next line. From a pagan prostitute. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. 
Now then, please swear by me, by the Lord, that as I've dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to the death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So she let them down by the rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, and the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days after the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. So they sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Father, bless the reading of your word. Father, as we look at these words, I pray that you'll speak to us about how surprisingly powerful in unexpected times and unexpected places that you show up, what you can do at those times. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Wow. Long introduction, long chapter, great story. This is a story of secret agent spies, a loose woman, a story of war and a war and strategy. And an amazing story of how God comes through in the most unusual ways with people we'd never dream he could use. And I want you to know today, as we look at the life of Rahab for just a few moments, I want you to know that Rahab is so far from God before this story unfolds that it's almost unimaginable that God would use her. And yet here she is, living in a wall in a Canaanite city, Jericho, and the target now, the children of Israel, as they move from the land of bondage to the land of promise, I want you to notice some things about how God works through all this. I want you to notice, first of all, that God uses unlikely places and unlikely people. Unlikely places and unlikely people. You never can tell where God's going to show up, and you never can tell who he's going to work through. But he does something unusual here. The unlikely place with a place called Shatim. I want you to know that word, not just so that you won't mispronounce it, but so that you'll know the meaning behind it. Shittim was a place of harlotry, spiritually speaking, for the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, if you go to Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, you'll see this verse, and they went along and came to the house. Uh, on chapter 25, verse 1, excuse me, of Numbers. Let's turn to that, by the way. Let's get that right. Numbers chapter 25, and verse 1. And this is what the Scripture records is taking place at that time in the city. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to, to whore with the daughters of Moab. That's just a very plain word. 
that is used to describe spiritual infidelity. This is the place of shame. This is the place where the children of Israel have begun to turn their backs on God and have failed to believe God and failed to follow God. They have no zeal for God, no heart for God. And God brought them back to this same place and says it's going to be through this place and through this memory of what you did here before that you must go through to get to the land of promise. Before I give you the land, I'm bringing you back to where you were so that you can overcome that shame and from this moment march forward. As bad as history was here, God says, I'm going to make a new history. Let me tell you something about that little principle right there. That is, no matter how shameful your place has been, no matter how shameful your life has been, God can take you back to that place of shame, that place of spiritual adultery or anything else in your life and make an entirely new history out of what he does there. We need to keep that in mind because plenty of us have shameful times and shameful places in our lives. And we think God is through with us. We think God cannot use us anymore. But God takes his family, his children, and brings them right back to Shatim and says, we're going to come back to this place, and from here you're going to be victorious like you never imagined you would be. But not only an unlikely place, but an unlikely person. Rahab the harlot. The Bible says in the passage we read that she lives in the walls of the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was about six acres in circumference. In other words, it's kind of a small walled city. Our buildings on this side of the street make up about six acres of buildings. Think about that for just a moment. So it's a relatively small town, but it's got huge walls around it. These are walls that are not built out of uh, hewn stone, but untouched stone, large stone, all brought together and stacked one upon the other and cemented together. And there are two walls. These walls are separated by about 15 feet. The outer wall is going to be about six and a half feet thick, and it's going to be about 15 to 20 feet tall. On the corners where the towers are, it'll go up as high as 28 or 30 feet. If you want to imagine that, just imagine the towers on the side of the stage going up on the side. And then look at about 15 to 20 feet. I'm six foot five, so just double that. And then another couple of feet, and that's how high the walls are. Difficult for people to get over when they are coming against a city. So in between those two walls, 15 feet, are planks. And those planks allow people to walk along the top of the walls. And in certain segments of those walls, houses are built. In one of those houses, Rahab the harlot and her family live. She's a prostitute. Her morality is probably acceptable in that Canaanite culture. But it is not with God's culture. And still, God uses her. In fact, Rahab is one of the most powerful illustrations of grace you find anywhere in the Bible. Think about her life. Think about what she went through daily. Think about how far she must have felt from God when she heard about him as he worked through the children of Israel. She says some things about God, and we'll re remind ourselves about that in just a moment. But the truth is, here's a woman far from God, far from uh, any way out of the way she's living. She's in a pagan nation, and things are not going well because the nation is about to fall. The city is about to be brought down. But this perfect illustration of God's grace poured out in the life of this woman is so unexpected and so surprising, it almost makes us have to catch our breath. Rahab, the harlot, you're going to use the harlot as a way for you to demonstrate your power and your grace? You know, because God's presence overcomes your past, 
Your past is never too great of an obstacle. I don't know what your past is today, but I can tell you it's probably not much different or not much worse than Rahab's past. If Rahab were to detail her past, her life, her daily activity, then you and I would look at that and say, wow, what a miserable life. How can you find anything more defeating, more discouraging than that kind of lifestyle? And yet God takes this woman and he bridges that gap and he gives her a whole new history and he gives her a whole new life as we'll see in just a few moments. Nothing is too great of an obstacle for God to overcome. You believe that today? It's so important for us to grasp the bigness, the hugeness of our God. He works in such amazing ways. In fact, this is just the way God loves to work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 27 and following, there's some great words that Paul wrote. I love these words because of what they say, what they mean. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God's going to do something in your life just like he did in Rahab's life where nobody human can boast about it. Nobody can say, I did this. Nobody can say, I accomplished this. I attained this. We have to, at the end of life, look back and say, every good thing that happened, God did. Because only God's powerful enough to do these kinds of things. So this powerful God working on behalf of this unlikely person. So how does someone like that, Rahab, become a person of surprise and a person of influence and a person used by God. All of us need to see the lesson of our life. Let me give you several things. First of all, she feared God more than she feared man. She feared God more than she feared man. If you look at verses 2 through 6, she stood up to a pagan king who did not value her life and placed herself in danger for the men of Israel. I was reading a, a, a copy uh, a book, an ancient book called The Babylonian Laws. It, it deals with the laws of that era of the Canaanite people and religion. And the ancient law code of Hammurabi contains the following provision. Here's what it says. If felons are banded together in an alewife or a prostitute's house and she has not hailed them to the palace, that alewife shall be put to death. This is one of the laws they saw as common in cities at that time. So, since they were on the wall and accessible, if strangers came, as they were prone to do at a prostitute's house, and they did not report these strangers' presence to the king, the woman would be put to death. So this woman's under threat of death for not reporting the spies who came. Surely she was terrified at what was going on. Hebrews and James in the New Testament confirmed that she put her faith in God before the spies came. She heard about the greatness of God and decided that she was going to do whatever is necessary to cooperate. And we have recorded in those verses that Rahab lied to the king. Now, nowhere in the Bible is there justification for lying. And certainly this chapter does not do that for us. She did well to protect, but not to lie. But God would have been victorious either way. Somehow God overcomes all that. And she feared God more than man, and God honored that in some way. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know that verse. We know that's true. Fear God more than man. You know, one of the things that hold us back as believers today in the New Testament era, in our era today, is that we fear the opinion of man more than we fear God. And so we hold back obedience from God because of what someone might say. 
We don't want to witness to people because we're afraid of what they may think about us. We don't want to be obedient to God in things uh, dealing with morality or things dealing with ethics because we're worried about what people may say. The truth is we need to fear God more than anyone because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. This woman feared God more than man. It's a key to how God worked in her life. And I assure you, if we don't have the fear of God, there's no way God's really going to work in our life. And by fear, it's not this morbid fear that God would zap us if we don't obey him, but the reverence and respect that says, God, I hold your word in higher esteem than I do any other word of any other person. She feared God more than man. Secondly, she listened and trusted God. As we read verses 8 to verse 13, her, voice, her faith was a reasonable faith, not a blind faith. In fact, the New Testament lauds her faith. It commends her faith. If you jumped over to Hebrews chapter 11, most of us know that as the, the hall of faith, where you find the phrase, by faith, and examples about those who walk by faith all through its pages. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, you read this, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, referring to the faith of the people of God. But then it also says this. It says, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Hebrews commends her faith. She trusted God. She listened to God. She believed in God. And she allowed everything to come into alignment with that. Here's a little phrase to help us remind ourselves of that. She knew this was God. She feared God. And she desired to be spared. I like that little summary because it says that's what faith is. That's what all faith is like. That's how anybody comes to God. By believing he's God. By fearing him and respecting him, and then by wanting to be spared. That's how salvation works. We want to be spared from separation from God. We want to be spared from hell and destruction. And so we acknowledge God, we fear God, and so we begin to trust God in a huge way. This woman didn't know much, but what she did know, she acted on and she was saved. One of the greatest professions of faith in the Old Testament, one of the first professions of faith in the Old Testament is in chapter 2. Verse 11, listen to the words of this pagan prostitute. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's amazing. When Rahab asked for kindness, she used a Hebrew word, hesed. It's used 250 times, and it means unfailing help to a needy covenant partner, even though she wasn't a covenant partner with God's people. She said, I need that kind of help. I want that kind of grace and that kind of assistance. God, in the way you help your people, help me. Show your kindness to someone like me. So here she is appealing to God in the way God works. She knew who she was. She knew how far she was from God. She knew what was ahead, but she willingly trusted God and asked for kindness. Not an easy thing to do, but that's exactly what she did and what God honored. Now notice next, she obeyed God. She followed their words to a T. In James chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible tells us that in the same way Hebrews affirms her faith, James affirms her obedience. It says in the same way Rahab was justified by her works as she obeyed the Lord. Let me say something about obedience that's so incredibly important for us. God asks us, once we put our faith and trust in him, 
to be an obedient people. You can't follow Jesus without being obedient. You can't follow God without obeying God. And here is a prostitute, pagan prostitute. And I want to stand for just a moment. Her up in contrast to the Hebrew king, Saul. Remember Saul? Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 15 when Saul was confronted by Samuel because he refused to obey the Lord and chose to sacrifice when God says don't sacrifice? And if you read that text, which we will do right now, you'll see that God rejects Saul from being king. He removes them because of disobedience. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And in that chapter, in verse 10, it says, I regret, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Verse 11 says, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me. He has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and cried to the Lord all night. When he confronted Saul, here's what he said in verse 22. Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of ram. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and the presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. And then here's what he said about Saul. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Isn't that amazing picture? Big contrast. King Saul removed from power because of disobedience. Rahab, who placed her faith in the living God, even though she was far from God, and then she obeyed God, was used in a huge way. Listen, the bottom line is, believe God and obey Him. And when you believe God and obey Him, God has a way of showing up on your behalf and using you in a supernatural way. Obedience is so important because God has a way that He wants things done. And lastly, I want you to notice this. She was given unimaginable favor. When you start the story in Joshua 2, you do not see the end of this coming. You think somehow children of Israel are going to have a way into this, this harlot, but we don't see the end of the story. In fact, you don't see the end of the story until you get to the New Testament. And really, the story is still going on today. But I want to tell you some of that story that's so important for us. God preserved Rahab by way of a scarlet cord that they asked to be hung in the window. In Joshua chapter 6, jump ahead to that with me. Beginning in verse 22, we see how this encounter ends as the children of Israel come against the wall of Jericho. The Bible says in verse 22 of chapter 6, but the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house, bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as she swore, so the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out their relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city with fire after the walls fell, everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. There's the story. Now, I, I hope you can see it in your mind's eye. These huge walls, God told the children of Israel to march around for seven days. So for six days, they marched around the walls. These walls that no other enemy could penetrate. These walls that needed to come down for Israel to have a victory and for them to move on into the promised land. So they marched around for six days and they say nothing. On the seventh day, they marched around it 
six times saying nothing. And then they march around the seventh time. And as they march around the seventh time, the, tr the priest began to shout and blow the trumpets. And the people began to cry out to the Lord. And the Bible says that God caused the walls to fall. Now these walls fell inward. Imagine these walls that I've described, towers as I've described. Imagine the children of Israel coming up against them with only trumpets, with only their voice, shouting. And I assure you that those walls fell not by the sound of the trumpets and not by the sound of their voices, but by the power of God. Amen? We know how they fell. We know why they fell. We know that they fell. But somehow the tower near where the house of Rahab was did not fall. It must have been a coincidence, right? She just happened to be living in that really strong portion of the wall. Wrong. That God caused every stone to fall from every other stone except the stones around her house because he had made a promise and he kept the promise and she was saved. And the Bible goes even further and says that she began to dwell with the children of Israel from that day forward. You read that passage with me. And God eventually allowed her to be adopted. A woman who was a different race, a different background, a pagan in every sense of the word, immoral to every degree, was adopted into the family of God in the Old Testament. Allowed to marry into the children of Israel and eventually became the great-grandmother of David the king in the line of Jesus and Judah. If that's not a comeback, if that's not a surprise, you tell me what is. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you see those words where she is placed right into the New Testament, committed in Hebrew, committed in James, as a woman of faith that God surprisingly rose up. Dear friend, if God can use a Rahab, he can use anybody in this room. Amen? If God can do that, he can do anything. I don't know how far from God you are, but I'm telling you, it's not too far for God to reach for you. I, I don't care how bad your background is or how bad the, the, the place where you are seems to be. There's nothing too difficult for the God that we've been talking about to, to transform that entirely and give you a brand new beginning and a brand new history. That's exactly what he did for Rahab, and that's what he'll do for you. And it all begins when you put your faith in God, and you put your faith in God through Jesus Christ. You know that scarlet thread of redemption? I can't end this message without at least alluding to the fact that that scarlet thread of redemption stands for the blood covenant that the Old Testament people had with God. It was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. She could get in no other way except through that blood covenant. And so she began to believe like the Hebrew people believe in God. And you get in by believing the fulfillment of that, that scarlet thread, that blood covenant who is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we find favor with God no matter who we are, no matter how far away from God we are. Do you want favor with God? Do you want a new history being written about your life? Do you want your past being eradicated and swallowed up by the new it comes with being a new creation in Jesus Christ. And come and put your faith in Christ today. Rahab believed, and then she obeyed. And surprisingly, God used her in amazing ways. He'll do that with you. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. Close your eyes. In just a moment, as I pray, I'll have you stand before I pray. 
And uh, I want you to respond to the God of Rahab. And I want you to today respond to the fact that you may be a person with a past that needs to have that dealt with in some way. Not all of us, but some of us may have that. I'm going to invite people who are going to be praying for you to come to the front right now. Our counselors, our prayer counselors are prepared to visit with you. They're prepared to talk with you. And why don't you come ahead and come up right now. This is our invitation that we're giving. Now, just a moment when I have the congregation stand and close in prayer, I'll ask you to respond. And one of the ways you can respond is simply walking forward and having a conversation with one of these up front. They're here to pray for you. They're here to answer questions you may have. They want to show you how God can take someone far from him and bring him close. You heard a great testimony a few moments ago in the baptistry of the son that influenced a father to come back to God. Man, what an amazing story that is. That can be your story. That should be every story in this room. But today I want you to have that conversation. There's three kinds of ways you can respond to us when it comes to the message today and to the Lord and what he's doing in your life. Number one, you can hang around after our closing prayer or visit with one of these. Number two, there's a way for you to text us. There's a number that will be placed on the screen, and that's, that number on the screen will allow you to text us and put the word talk. And if you simply write down talk on the screen, then we will communicate with you. We will respond to you. The third way that you can do that is that you can come to our guest reception room right outside the center exit doors, right across the hallway. I'll be there to visit with you. I'm going to ask that you stand right now with me as we bow together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for our time together today. Thank you for the many things that we've shared. Thank you for the amazing story we have. Lord, my prayer today is that no one will leave this place feeling that their situation is impossible because nothing is impossible with you. But Lord, help everyone here know that you're a personal God and that you know the personal need of every person in the room and that you desire to reach out, to touch, and to rescue Father, today, let no one leave without having that opportunity. So I pray that you'll move in our hearts and lives and allow us to believe you and respond to you. Thank you for the invitation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.